Do you ever struggle with feeling burdened, overwhelmed? Do you ever feel like that the responsibilities that you have are way larger than the amount of time that you have to take care of them? Uh, Do you ever struggle taking your foot off the gas? Do you ever come home and expect to relax and you find yourself working? One of the reasons I think this is a problem for so many of us is because we have one of these little things in our pocket. (laughs) I mean, you know, just think about it. The technology is a blessing and it's a curse too, right? I'm just looking here at my phone this morning. On my phone, wherever I go, I can do online baking, I can listen to music, I can purchase things, I can book a flight, I can check the weather, I can uh, check how many steps that I've taken today, I can analyze the stock market, I can watch a YouTube video, I can uh, check my calendar, I can see how my favorite sports teams are doing on the ESPN app, I can take pictures, I can look at pictures, I can get a ride through Uber, I can read a book, I can buy movie tickets, I can take notes, and a whole lot more. That's just a little overwhelming, isn't it? I mean, you think about all the things that you can do. And so, because we live in a world that is at our fingertips, we struggle with being tired. We struggle with being weary. We struggle with with having the energy that we need to do the things that God has called us to do. And I want to share with you one principle today that I really believe could change your entire life. It's a principle that it's contrary, and it kind of sounds like the opposite of what reality is. But if you could download this into your spirit, I believe that you would have more joy, that you would have more friendships because you're more delightful to be around. You would actually be more productive Um, you would have more peace and more hope in your life, and God would do a lot more through you. You you would actually become more productive, if you want to use that word, than, than maybe you've ever been before. And that one principle is found here in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. I want us to open our Bibles today to Mark chapter 1. We've been in a series called Walk This Way, and we've been talking about about the Christian walk, the Christian journey, our our own spiritual lives. And Jesus models something that is so beautiful for us right here in this first chapter of Mark chapter 1. Let me read it for us, beginning in verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, he went out, and he made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying And Simon and his companions searching for him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. He went into all of Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out the demons. Jesus has just come off of a a record-setting day. In fact, in the preceding verses, Jesus has cast out demons, he's healed people, he's called some of his disciples, he got baptized, he taught in the synagogue, answered a lot of crazy people's questions, and probably did a lot more. And Jesus gets up early the next morning to spend time with the Father. Now, you know, most of the time when we've had a big day, we say, I'm going to sleep late tomorrow. Does that feel good sometimes? I'm going to sleep in. Jesus is so busy, though, he actually decides to get up 
really early in the morning. Notice it says there, verse 35, very early in the morning. I don't know exactly what time that is, but I don't, I don't think that's 7 o'clock. It's very early in the morning, and he spends time with the Father. See, the secret of Jesus' ministry was not all of the stuff that he did publicly. I think it's what he did privately. And if you read the Gospel of Luke, it chronicles the prayer life of Jesus. Let me give a few examples to you real quick. Don't try to turn to these, but just listen. In Mark, uh, excuse me, Luke 3.21, Jesus prays at his baptism. In Luke 5.16, it says he often withdrew to a desert place to pray. In chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus prays all night before he calls the disciples. Jesus knows this is a monumental decision. I need the will of God done. I need clarity. So he stays up all night praying so he'll know which ones to call as the 12th. Uh, in, in chapter 9, verse 18 of Luke, Jesus prays in private and the disciples are with him. In Luke chapter 9, and verse 28 and 29, he goes up to a mountain to pray with James, John, and Peter. And then in chapter 11, he's praying in a certain place. And the disciples saw the correlation between prayer and power. And they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And that's when Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer in chapter 11. In uh, Luke 22, Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that his arrest and his death is imminent. You could say that Jesus was always praying. And there's a correlation between the prayer life of Jesus and the power life of Jesus. In other words, what Jesus does intimately, what Jesus does privately, is the power source that drives his entire ministry. And I think that if we would begin to focus more on prayer, more on our devotional times, more on our private worship, we would be amazed at the transformation that would come out of our life. Our marriages would be brought together stronger. Our kids would be would, would, would be able to, 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 to grow spiritually and grow closer to Christ. Um, we would have more direction. We'd have more wisdom and discretion as to the choices that God is leading us to make. And so I want to give you four things today to help you develop a prayer life like Jesus. And here's number one. Pick a place. Pick a place. You ought to write it down. Pick a place. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up and he made his way to a Say it with me. A what? A deserted place, right? A deserted place. And there he was praying. So Jesus goes to a place. If you're going to have a devotional life, if you're going to have a prayer life, you have to have a place. It starts with a place. Jesus was at a deserted place. Now, I don't know why he chose a deserted place, but I would imagine there was not a lot going on at the deserted place. It was in the middle of the night, and there was nothing there. And you know, when there's nothing going on, that's a great time and, and, and a great place to pray, is it not? You know, we got to get away from the distractions and all the things that are going on. If you're going to have a prayer life, don't sit in front of your TV and look at the remote and think about the shows that you want to watch on Netflix. you got to get into a place where you can meet with God. Do you have that kind of place? Maybe it's in your basement. you got a little place in the basement. Maybe it's the corner of your bedroom. Maybe it's the living room. I love to pray in my study. In fact, I have a special chair that I sit in that I like to 
read the Bible and pray and talk to God. And I really don't sit in that chair very much otherwise. It's kind of a special, it's kind of like meet with God chair, you know. Um, Do you have a place? Do you have a place? Maybe it's a place outside. Maybe it's in your backyard or in your patio or or, or, or maybe some other place. Um, do you have a place? When I was at the university, we had a chapel, and I used to love to go there before classes and spend time with God. That was one of the coolest places I ever got to spend time with God. I love that. That was a long time ago. Do you have a place? Jesus calls it the prayer closet in Matthew chapter 6. But when you pray... Go into your private room, the CSV says. Another translation calls it the prayer closet. Shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. In other words, what you do in secret will be revealed before people. Now, a lot of people want to be great. A lot of people want to be dynamic. A lot of people want to be successful. A lot of people want to be wise. Jesus gives us the prescription right here in Matthew chapter 6. He says, listen, if you will be a person of prayer, if you will get alone with God, if you will get into the prayer closet, God will do amazing things in your life publicly. We focus too much on our reputation, on what people think about us, on the exterior, on the veneer. Jesus said it starts with the heart and it starts with getting alone with God. If we want to be lifted up and esteemed, it all begins in that private place of prayer. He says, when you go to that private room, shut the door and pray. And the Father who sees you in secret will reward you. What you do secretly, God will bless openly. So there ought to be intentionality. I mean, we need a place to pray. And we go to that place with a specific purpose in mind. Now, let me ask you, when you, and I want you to say it out loud with me, and don't be shy. When you go to the gym, what do you intend to do? Okay, hopefully. Yeah, I do know some people that go to the gym to be social. But hopefully, you want to get just a little bit sweaty, right? Um, When you go to a restaurant, what do you anticipate doing? That's the intention, is to eat, right? If you go to the airport, what are you going there to do? You're going to go somewhere. You're going to go on a trip, right? So when you have a place that you meet with God, you have an intentionality about going there. You're going to meet with God with the intention that you're going to hear from Him, you're going to talk to Him, and your life is going to be touched and empowered by the Lord. So there's an intentionality. There's also an intimacy that's there. You know, when you get with God and, uh, you know, I was thinking about that this week because there's some certain restaurants uh, or coffee shops or even hotels when Gina and I travel. There's certain places that I only take my wife and I love my kids, but they're not invited. You know what I'm saying? Like there's just some of those places. Now, when I'm with the kids, we'll go to Chick-fil-A, you know. When I'm with my wife, we go to some other places. We have special places. We have special routines because there's an intimacy. And, and whenever I think about spending time with my wife, I think about some of those places. There, there, there is an intimacy that's there. 
When we have a place that is designated to meet with God, there develops an intimacy with him. That place is special because that's where I meet with God. And it's a beautiful thing. There's also a privacy that's there. You know, hopefully that place that you meet with God, there's not like, you know, 100 people screaming all around you. You know, you want to have that place. Jesus goes in the middle of the night. I think not because he didn't want to sleep, but because he knew that if he was going to get alone with God, he had to get away from people, and he had to go to that deserted place. He didn't go to the market to meet with the Father. He went to the deserted place because he knew he needed privacy. And when we have privacy with God, God will do his greatest work in our lives. So we have to pick a place. We start by picking a place. But the scripture gives us another example from the ministry of Jesus Not only do we pick a place, we set a time. We set a time. And Jesus is praying very early in the morning. Do you see it there in verse 35? It it describes his time as early in the morning. Now listen, I think any time that we spend with God is always great and always good. But there is something special about meeting with God first. And, And I want to give you a couple of thoughts today that I hope will inspire you to get up in the morning and to meet with God before you meet with anybody else. Okay, I love to say this. Meet with God before you meet with the world. Right? You see, before you meet with all those crazy people at the office, you need to spend some time with Jesus. Okay? Before you get with all those people that you're thinking about strangling, okay, you need prayer. You need the Lord. So we need to get with God before we get with everybody else. And it sets the pace and sets the course of your day. And Jesus is modeling this. Jesus knows he has a big day that's coming up. And so he gets up extra early to spend time with God. Put it on your schedule. Put it on your calendar. When you you get up early in the morning, there is less going on. Okay? I know some of you go to work early and you got early mornings and you're like, you don't know my meetings. I understand. I get it. You know, when you got one of these, you're only a text away, right? But, but there is less going on early in the morning than there is when the day gets going. So if you're going to, if you're going to turn this thing off or you're going to distance yourself from, from this, Early in the morning is always the best time to do it. Now, I realize you may not be a morning person, but listen, if you get in the routine and habit of meeting with God, it will, it will grip your heart, and you might be surprised at some of the changes in your schedule that you might make. So we meet with God before we meet with the world, and we put it on our calendar because we know that, that once the day gets cranking, it's really hard to, to refocus, okay? It's really hard to read Scripture and pray When you're getting 10 emails, okay, and your phone's blowing up. So we do that in the morning, and and when we do that, we we get with God. Now, this is what we call, in theological terms, the priesthood of the believer. And that is a really fancy way of saying that people can have direct access to God through the person of Jesus. You see, you don't have to go to Jesus through a priest. So when you need to talk to God... Because of Jesus' death and his resurrection on the cross, resurrection from the grave, death on the cross, you can talk to God directly. 
And this is, this is so underutilized. I mean, just think about this for a moment. You have the opportunity. You have the invitation to speak to the creator of heaven and earth. I mean, the God that formed you in your mother's womb, the God that knows everything about you, you have the opportunity to have an intimacy and a connectivity and a relationship with him. Is there anything more wonderful than that? But a lot of times we don't, we don't exercise this right. Why, why do we not spend more time with God? Well, sometimes it's because we're ignorant. You know, maybe we just don't really know. But that can't be the excuse today, right? Because we, we've heard about it at church. Other times, maybe it's unbelief. We don't really believe that, that having a devotional life would, would really change things. And, and we kind of think that, you know, maybe it's not possible. Sometimes we just don't want to put the time into it. Let's just be honest, you know? It seems like another thing to do. I'm so busy. I don't have time. I got to tell you something. Jesus was busy. Everybody wanted to talk to Jesus. Jesus' schedule was blowing up. And yet he still got along with the Father. He did it. He did it. Jesus didn't even have to confess sin, but he knew that he needed that time with the Lord. Now just think about that. I mean, some of us could spend a lot of time in prayer just confessing sins if that's all that you did. Jesus didn't have sin to confess, but he knew that he needed that time with God. You need time with God. If Jesus needed time with the Father, you need time with the Lord. You need it. And see, a lot of people's prayer life it, it centers around how bad things are. Like, if I'm in trouble, if people are in the hospital, lost my job, my kids have lost their mind, now I pray. What I want you to see is something that is so much more profound than that. That is that God wants to have a relationship with you every single day. I mean, you have the divine opportunity to pray and to connect with God on a daily basis, whether things are really good or things are bad. And that's where your spiritual power and your strength really comes from. It's not just when you run to God when the bottom falls out. It's that daily discipline. It's that consistency. It's that faithfulness. It's, it's that setting a time and picking a place. Because there's always things that are pulling us away from time with God. Now, if you look in verse 36 and 37, Jesus is having this wonderful time with God. But what, what are the disciples doing? Check it out. Simon and his companions searched for him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. You see, you have to also learn to stick to your commitment. Stick to your commitment. And it's funny because here Jesus is, the incarnation of God. And throughout the Gospels, people are always telling Jesus what he's supposed to do and where he's supposed to be. I mean, just think about that. Simon Peter's like, Jesus, what are you doing? We couldn't find you. You got appointments. You got people that need to be healed. You got individuals that have spiritual questions. And you're off in the darkness praying. Come on, Jesus. Get it, get it together. Kind of reminds me of John chapter 11. 
when Jesus shows up at the death of Lazarus. Lazarus has been dead three days. And it, one of his sisters starts to rebuke Jesus. Like if you would have been here, you, this wouldn't have happened. This is all on you, Jesus. Why did you, you let us down? You know, the Bible says Jesus wept. I mean, he, he, he cared about Lazarus. Lazarus was, was his man. He was his friend. And Jesus is grieving. But, but Jesus also knows that he has all the power. And when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus' sister was like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> you know, how many of you know Jesus kind of operates on his own schedule? Jesus kind of does his own thing. And, and when we start to tell Jesus what he's supposed to do, we'll, we'll always be disappointed and frustrated. But, you know, there may be some people in your life that are trying to tell you your responsibilities and your time and your schedule Maybe it's your boss. I know you've got, a, you've got some people that you answer to at work, and your boss may be pushing on you. And, and there are responsibilities that we have, and there are obligations, but there are also boundaries. And if we don't have some boundaries, we can never be consistent with God. You know, even our own, in our own homes, our own family, our own spouses, our own relationships. Listen, there, there, there has to be time that is given and reserved for time with God. If we don't do that, the family gets out of whack. People begin to drift away. People begin to kind of go their own direction. So we got to stick to our commitments. And sticking to our commitments requires us to not just respond to the demands of people. See, here's, the, here's two mindsets about your time. The disciples, their mindset is, Jesus, you're busy. You don't have time to pray. Jesus' mindset is, I'm extremely busy. I need to pray more. Do you see the difference? And maybe you have some really, really big choices, and you may even need to enter into a season of prayer that is more than what you might normally do because you have so much going on, and it, it's so critical, the things that you're dealing with right now, and you desperately need to hear from God. Well, you have that opportunity. You can get with him. He would love to spend that time with you. And good and well-meaning people can sometimes give us bad advice. And this is the disciples when they're trying to correct Jesus. Um, Jesus, come on, hurry up. The people are, people are looking for you. Uh, we cannot live to the uh, according to the demands of other people. We have to do what God has purposed for us to do. Um, and we know there's some great reasons to pray. I mean, Jeremiah 33, verse 8 says, Call to me and I'll show you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. In other words, if you don't pray, you won't know the great things. If you do pray, God says, I will blow your mind with the things that you will begin to understand. In Matthew chapter 7, um, Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find and knock and the door will be opened unto you. I mean, how many of us are facing a closed door and, and we're trying to kick the door open, but if we would become people of prayer, God would begin to open the door. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And, the God, the, uh, the, and God will give you the peace that passes all understanding, that will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. There's a lot of great reasons to pray and to get along with God. 
And we got to stick to that commitment. You know, one of my favorite examples is over there in the book of Exodus. Uh, Moses is fighting a, 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 a foe called the Amalekites, Exodus 17. And Moses is up on a mountain and the Israelites are fighting the people. And God tells him to lift his hands. As long as Moses' hands are lifted, the Israelites are winning. When he puts his hands down because his hands get tired, guess what happens? The Amalekites start to push back the Israelites. And so, so actually, in the story, Moses has two guys hold his hands up so they can win the battle. You know, sometimes you get tired in the journey. And the reason that we're not praying and lifting our hands to God is because we're exhausted. But it's beautiful, the correlation between prayer, lifting his hands to God, and, and living a victorious life and winning the battles. And God wants us to think about that today. Man, don't let, don't let people dictate everything that you're going to do in your life. I mean, you're going to disappoint some people. You're going to let some people down. You're not going to be at every meeting that maybe people expect you to be at. Listen, I love to meet with as many people as I can at Edge Church, but I can't do everything that everyone wants me to do. Because if I do that, I can't do the main thing. So sometimes I, I say no. You know, sometimes I disappoint people. Sometimes you disappoint people. You cannot do it. You know, um, when I was uh, a younger pastor... I was on the church staff at a church in another city, and there was an older gentleman in our church, and he heard me speak, and he wanted me to come speak at his, his club. This club was called the Optimus Club. I don't know if they still have Optimus Clubs anymore, but this guy was real energetic. The Optimus Club, I never heard of it before, but it's a group of very old people that get together, and they like talk about how positive they are. And so, like, after 40 days and nights of intense pursuit, I agreed to come speak to the Optimus Club. And uh, I prepared several hours. I drove to downtown to a hotel. I ate lunch with these guys. Literally, I don't think anybody in the room was under the age of 90. They had to bring most of the guys in in a wheelchair. I mean, these are the oldest bunch of guys I've ever seen before. And they wanted me to speak to them, and they did these optimist chants about how positive they were in the universe and all this stuff. And I was like, when I left, I was like, you know, it was nice to be there, but this was the biggest waste of time that I've ever endured. I didn't want to go to the optimist club. I didn't feel called to be at the optimist club. But I went because, I went because this guy kept pushing me to do it, and I wasted almost a whole day of my time. And as a young pastor, I made a commitment after that, that that I was going to be a lot more intentional about the things that I gave my heart and my attention to, and that I wasn't going to do necessarily what everybody asked me to do, because I knew that I couldn't spend the time with God, and I couldn't take care of the things that I was called to do if I was constantly going and doing what everybody thought that I should be doing. And maybe you have some some things in your life that you need to cut out or you need to stop doing so that you can spend time with God. Um, 
Maybe you need to reorient your schedule. Maybe you need to talk to the people that are closest to you in your life so that they can help you get there and do that. I'm telling you, when you stick to your commitment, when you pick a time, when you pick a place, God will begin to rock your world. And this is where this thing ends up here. And number four is simply this, expect God to move. Expect God to move. See, a lot of times we think prayer is just like this thing that monks do are really, really, really spiritual people. But we don't see the benefit of it. And I want you to see the benefit of Jesus' private time with the Father as it correlates to his individual responsibilities immediately afterward. Look there in verse 39. He went, he went into all of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. And then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So what does Jesus do? In verse 39, he's driving out demons. In verse 40, he's healing a leper. And then he's going on and he's teaching and he's doing all kinds of other things. How did Jesus have so much authority? He was spending time with the Father. And there's a correlation between prayer and power. If you want to know the secret to spiritual power, it's getting along with God. See, the reason that we're so impotent spiritually is because we have no prayer life. We spend no time with God. Many people come to church once a month, and that is their spiritual you know, input, if you will. i got to tell you, if you come to church even once a week, that's not enough. And nobody loves church more than me. I'm telling you, if you don't get with God... If you don't get along with the Father, if you don't get in the prayer closet, you will never see the correlation between prayer and power in your life. It just won't happen. It doesn't work that way. This is God's design, and Jesus models this for us. Listen, conflicts will get resolved. Clarity on decisions that you need to make will begin to happen. Hezekiah in the Old Testament is about to die. He's got, the, the prophet tells him, man, you're about to die. He prays to the Lord. God gives him 15 more years. I'm just saying. There's something to prayer and power. Uh, Hannah can't have a baby. And she prays and God allows her to get pregnant. Some of you may be dealing with fertility issues. The greatest thing you can do is to talk to God, is to pray. Peter is in prison. He's praying. What happens? Well, an earthquake shows up. <laughs> you know, he, he exits. Um, Joshua's praying. The sun stands still. Okay? Do you believe that God still does things like that? I do. But the reason that we don't see God doing more in our life is because we have really very little appetite for prayer. Um, I want to share with you, Gene and I are working through an, a journal that has been a great encouragement to our spiritual life. And um, every week there's one verse to memorize. I'm like terrible at Bible, Bible memory. I'm just telling you as a pastor. I'm dyslexic, so I can hardly read. So memorizing the Bible is hard for me. But, but this is simple. You pick one verse a week, okay? So like one of the verses I'm working on right now is Psalm 145, verse 4. 
One generation will declare your works to, to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. Isn't that cool? I love that verse. So I'm thinking about that every day. Then three things you're grateful for. Okay? Gratitude is a spiritual discipline. Gratitude should be part of our time with God. That's, that should be part of prayer is the things we're grateful for. So you write down three things you're grateful for. Um, then you put down a prayer. And then, you, and then there's a section that says, today I will. And uh, you can put down something that you're expecting God to do. Now, these things can be one sentence. Each day is just two pages, okay? So it, it, this, is, this is not like you're writing essays. And I'm a guy who doesn't even like spiritual journals. I'm just being honest with you. But this is so cool. I love doing this. And then you write down the Bible verse that you read and something that you took away from it. Then you come back that night and you write down something that that Bible verse and that you did and how that interacted with your day. So you just come back and you fill in like at the very bottom, there's a little moon there. I know you guys can't see it, but there, there's something in the morning. And then you reflect at the end of the day, what did God do in your life? And it's just a little tool. And it only takes a few minutes to do this. This doesn't take half an hour. We love doing it. Maybe having a tool like that would be a benefit to you. Um, but more than a spiritual journal, I want our church to be a church of prayer. I want us to be people that are seeking after the heart of God. I don't want you to be spiritually impotent. I want you to be a woman or a man that has power with God. Somebody who knows the things of God. Uh, somebody who talks to God. Somebody who understands the ways and the thinking of God. And that only comes in and through prayer. We need a prayer life. We need a place. We need a time. We need to watch out from those distractions. And finally, we need to expect God to move. I am so excited about your spiritual journey and the things that God is going to do in your life. Would you pray with me for just a moment?